Amen. Amen. Are you guys, are you guys ready for this message? Have you prepared your heart? I need you to pray for me because uh, first service, I, I got after it. And now my, my voice is, is hoarse. And I'm praying I got enough juice to get through this. So uh, listen, last week was Resurrection Sunday. It's a big deal. Amen? How many of you know Jesus rising from the dead is a big deal? Well, last week we asked the question, what is truth? And it was a fairly, um, you know, straightforward message. And uh, I, I used the creative kind of angle of, of the movie Inception. I used the movie Inception to kind of talk about what is truth. And some of you guys really, really loved it. And, and you were like, man, that's awesome. Pastor went out and watched the movie again. I'm like, well, that's not really wasn't my intention. My intention is that you get back in the gospel and read through it. But you saw Inception again. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I think you got what I was, where I was coming from. But, but that was a creative message. And, and, and uh, how many of you know that I, I kind of, sometimes I use music, sometimes we use, and sometimes we just stay right with God's word and just get deep dive into it. Today's going to be a deep dive. I want you to get your Bibles out. How many of you have your Bibles? Raise your Bible up if you have it. How many of you know it's important to bring your Bible? Someone said, Pastor, I have my Bible online. Yeah, that works. That absolutely works. You can bring it on yourself when you can bring. But what happens when they start changing it? Not that. At least this, they have a hard time changing because I got it right in front of me. Amen. No, someone, I, I'm not kidding you. I, I've, I've memorized verses since I was a kid. I go online and it's different. I'm like, that's not the way I memorized it. Someone said, oh, that's that, what you call it, effect. No, that's, that's something else, but. But today I want to talk about that, that all-important time of Jesus promising his disciples that he was going to accomplish something significant, and it took place right before his crucifixion. We're going to talk a little bit about his crucifixion, but more importantly, what happened at the resurrection. What happened at the resurrection? And we're going to use this timeline. Now, I want you to understand that we're going to be, Jesus appeared for a period of 40 days, 40 days he appeared and, and reappeared to his followers. This is a big deal. But today we're not going to talk about the entire 40 days. We're going to spend most of our time right here. Four days, roundabout. Okay? And so I want you to know the significance behind that, but before I can kind of dive into our message, I need, to, I need you to understand what we're going to be doing today is contextual exegesis. Contextual, contextual means um, from the overall context of the New Testament and the story of and, and what we have from these three to four days. And then the exegesis is drawing out the truth understanding and drawing out from the context. So that's, that's what we're going to be doing. Now, before we get into those, those last couple of days or those days that we're going to be talking about, the ones in question, I want to take you to Luke chapter 6. Go to Luke chapter 6. Now, in case you're going to be trying to write everything down, I will make all of these notes available on our app. So you can go to the app 
and they'll put the app uh, at the end of the message. They'll put the, the, the slide up there and then uh, we'll go from there. But in Luke chapter four, verse six, this is a very, very important verse because what's happening here is Jesus is being tempted by the enemy. Now, last week I said that the enemy has the same old game. It's a good game. It's a one-two hook. This is what it is. It's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Okay? That, that's what he does. He did it with Eve. He said, the, the Bible says, I, I read this last week, when Eve saw that it was what? Good for food, pleasing to the eye, and that it was able to make her wise like God, then she did eat. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. When he tempts Jesus, he does the same thing. He says, aren't you hungry? Turn those stones into bread. Lust of the flesh. He says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I can give them to you. Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. What was the pride of life? Prove to me your God. Prove it. Doesn't the Bible say that nothing will happen to you? So here we have Satan is tempting Jesus. And, and I want you to read it with me. And the devil said to him, all authority, circle that all, underline authority, all authority, I will give you. Now it's interesting because some of you may never have seen that. It was Satan's to give. Can you give what you don't own? Thank you very much, Cody. Thank you. Can you give what's not yours? If it's not yours, then how can you give it? Notice what doesn't happen. Jesus doesn't correct him or argue the point with him. Why? Because to some degree, I believe Satan was telling the truth. To some degree. Now we can get into that and that can be an entire message on its own. But, but just stay with me for, for now. And their glory... For this has been delivered to me. I want you to understand it was delivered. That means given. What was given? Dominion. Authority. The right to rule on this earth. Now, who gave it to him? Well, turn in your Bibles to Genesis. Then God blessed them and said to them, what did he say? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. So if we're going to uh, understand this entire message, we need to understand what dominion is. Dominion, very simply put, listen to me, is, is authority and power given to accomplish a purpose or goal. Authority and power. Now, a, a few weeks ago, I preached about the authority and power given to us by Jesus. And I said, you need to be confident in this when you walk and you need to understand who you are in Christ, that you have the authority and power that Christ has conveyed to you. And you need to know that the same power, come on, that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Now, I know that makes some people feel uncomfortable because you're thinking, well, I don't want to, I don't want to think too much of myself. You're not thinking too much of you. You're thinking of the one who lives in you. And that's Christ. And so we talked about it today. We're going to unpack it and, and, and we're going to see where it came from. 
So this idea of dominion is authority and power. Now, to perform a purpose. What is the purpose? Fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue. That means to rule on this planet. And for the most part, we do that. But something took place when we willingly bought the lie of the enemy. The only way we were to do this was to do it under God's authority. But we went out of God's authority and put ourselves in a place of sin and death. That's what happened. He tricked us. He lied to us. And so you say, okay, now I'm starting to get where you're going with this. Okay, so now turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 verses 1 and 2 are very familiar to many of us. And if you're a conservative and listen to a certain talk show host, he likes to say this over and over and over. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. See, some of us listen to too much Sean Hannity and we think that that's his, those are his words. Can I tell you, he borrowed them from someone much greater. Uh, those are not Sean Hannity's words. Those are Jesus Christ's words. And he's not talking about politics. He's talking about something much greater than politics. Amen? And so he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. Now, why is he saying, do not let your hearts be troubled? Because what he's telling his disciples is that I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And can I tell you, too many times when we read that, we immediately think of the second coming. We immediately think, well, God is going to, he sent his son, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, but now he's going to go away for 2,000 years. Can I tell you that maybe it has a shorter significance? That maybe Jesus was not just talking about going away for 2,000 years. Now, let me, let me tell you this. I believe in the second coming. I believe that someday Christ is going to split the sky wide open, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the honor and glory of God the Father. I believe that with all my heart. But can I tell you, maybe God, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But yeah, but, but what about the mansions? When, when you talk about the mansions, I've always been, I've always been taught that do you know that mansions is used in the King James and New King James Version, but most often it's translated dwelling place? I go to prepare the dwelling place. He says, so that where, you, where I am there, you may be. Maybe he's talking more than just, because for too many of us, this is how we think of Jesus. He resurrected from the dead, and he's got his carpenter's belt on. And, and some of you are saying, I can't think of you that way. <laughs> but he's got his carpenter's belt on, and he's up in heaven building mansions. Oh, uh, uh, Keith just went on another mission trip. We got to expand his mansion. Get it bigger. 20 more feet. Oh, you know, cost of uh, production is going up. Don't worry, I'm paying for it. And he's got the angels working and they're all working. And he's, he's got the square and the plumb line and he's, he's, he's nailing. And then Keith saves someone. He goes, oh, Keith just saved somebody. Add another room to his mansion. And now we got to add another mansion. Another ticket coming in. He's got to build another mansion. Hurry up, guys. We're never going to get done at this rate. Is, is that what Jesus is doing? Well, then what's going on? See, we tend to think of... I, 
you didn't know I knew my way around this belt, did y'all? I actually don't. I'm kind of feeling back here like, what in the world is back there? But, but I want to share with you, Jesus is talking to his disciples about his betrayal. He's talking to his disciples about his trial, his, his execution or crucifixion, and more importantly, his resurrection. This is important to understand. Listen to me very, very closely. This is important to understand, especially if we're going to understand what happened on that resurrection Sunday and how he set us free from the law of sin and death. And what that really means, what that freedom really, really is all about. See, too many times we think that we've got to wait till Jesus returns. But what if Jesus already did everything we need him to do? Now it's our turn to accomplish our purpose and goal according to the dominion, according to the authority and power that he has conveyed to us. That's what we're talking about here today. Listen to what Jesus says just a few verses down. We read verses 1 and 2 of 14. Now we're reading 25 of 14. Read with me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. So he's saying, I'm saying this while I'm in your presence. But the helper, that's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have you remember two things. Holy Spirit, number one. And you'll see the next one in in a little bit. Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Now keep reading with me. Peace is number two. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Here's that common refrain. He's saying, listen. I'm hearkening back to verse one, where I said, do not let your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. But maybe the place he's talking about is not far away in heaven in terms of it's going to take him thousands and thousands of years. What if he's saying, I go to prepare a place. I go to prepare. I got I to get some things done with the Father so that you're prepared for when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. I want you to think about this with me for a second. Some of you are going, oh, pastor, that's not the way I usually think about it. Let not your heart be troubled. Verse 28. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. Listen to what he's saying. I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice Because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I am. Now, this is significant because he keeps saying, I'm going, but we tend to think, I'm going for 2,000 years. What if he's going, settling it, coming right back? Watch this. In verse 29, and now I have told you before it comes. I'm telling you ahead of time, so that when it does come to pass, you may believe me. So he's saying, look, it's going to be so incredible. I've got to tell you before, because when it happens, you're not going to believe what just happened. Okay, stay with me on this. We're going to go two chapters over. That's just a couple of flips of your Bible or a couple of clicks of your cell phone to chapter 16, verse 16. Now, I want you to make a note of a little while. 
Because a little while is a big deal. You're going to see what a big deal it is as we read it. A little while and you will not see me. Okay? That means in a little bit, I'm going to be gone from you. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. So here it is again. I'm going to the Father, but is he going for 2,000 years? What's happening here? Stay with me. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this he is saying to us? A little while. Isn't that awesome? Because the disciples are like that kid in the class that always asks the question everybody else wants to ask. You know what I mean? You ever been in a class where you want to ask a question, but you don't want to look dumb, so you're like, man, some of Johnny, go, dude. Ask a question. And, and, and the disciples are little Johnny. They go, they're asking, to, they're asking themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and we will not see him. And again, a little while, and we will see him. And you will see me, because I go to the Father. They're asking, go to the Father? What does he mean by that? They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? They can't get over this. We do not know what he is saying. Now listen to what Jesus says. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while? We're like, yes, Lord. We keep talking about this little while. What do you mean? Okay, watch this. He's saying, and oh man, I'm, this thing started to cut off my circulation. I'm not used to this. Some of you guys are going faster. You, you ain't going to hang out there. I, I'm not trying to hang out there. I'm hanging in here. <laughs> Amen. So, so this is what he said. Watch this. He said, a little while and you're not going to see me. What does that mean? In, in just a, a little bit, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be crucified. And a little while after that, a few days after that, I'm going to rise again, and you're not going to believe it, so I'm telling you ahead of time. I got one person that received it. I got one person that received it. You know, that's a big deal, guys. I don't know if you know this, but that's a big deal. Now, no, 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 pastor, but wait a minute. A little while could be anything, because a day to God is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But why would he put them right next to each other? It wouldn't make sense for him to say, in a little while, and that's really a little while, I'm about to die. But now the next little while means 2,000 years plus? That would be confusing. What he's saying is, look, I'm, I'm about to die, then I'm going to get up from that death, and, and I'm going to surprise all of you, so I'm telling you ahead of time, because this is going to be incredible. I want you to know. And then I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to take care of some business, and I'm going to come back to you. Now, I want to know, did that happen? Did it happen? Let's look at our scripture. So before we go look at that scripture, read one more with me. Verse 22 of that same chapter, chapter 16. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but, but I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice. Okay, so when did they have sorrow? When he was put to death, when did they rejoice? When he rose from the dead. Can you see what he's talking about? And your joy, no one will be able to take from you. So let's talk. Let's talk about resurrection day. 
what took place? All right, let's go to verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1 of John. Chapter 20, verse 1 of John. On the first day of the week. When is the first day? That's Sunday. Do you know why we worship on Sunday? Because on the first day of the week, Jesus Christ makes all things new. All things new. And from there, the New Testament church began to worship on Sunday. Now watch this. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. How early is early? While it was still dark. That means too early <laughs> for Pastor Chris. That's way too early for me. Because I, I don't get up while it's still dark. Some people are like, oh yeah, I'm working out at four in the morning. That's middle of the night for me. <laughs> that, that's crazy. I, I'm just barely starting to dream at that point. But how many of us are, are, are early birds? Raise your hand if you're an early bird. Now I can see why we want an, a sunrise service. Can I tell you where we get the concept of sunrise service? Because Jesus rose early. And so we get up to commemorate that. Here we have Mary looking for him. And she sees that the tomb has been uh, rolled away. Verse 11. Let's drop down in the chapter some. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. Why was she weeping? Connor, I'll tell you why she was weeping. She was weeping because as she looked into the tomb, she saw that there was no body. There's no body. But what does she see as she looks into the tomb? Read it with me. And she saw as she stooped down and looked into the tomb, two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the foot. But there was nothing that laid between them because Jesus had risen. You want to know what she sees? Someone say it to me. She sees an angel dressed in white sitting, right? Could it be something like this? Uh-oh, at the foot. How about at the head? I mean, that's at the head. How about at the foot? What is this painting? This is the mercy seat. This is the Ark of the Covenant that is held in the, high, the holiest of holiest in the tabernacle, in the temple. Okay, first it was in the tabernacle. When they built the temple, it was moved to the temple. The holiest of holiest is where God was, to, was believed to have been enthroned. That means he sat at the mercy seat between the angels. The Ark of the Covenant was, was absolutely important. Not only was it important, I need you to understand something here. On the Day of Atonement, that means once a year, the high priest would have to prepare himself to make atonement. That means to ask for forgiveness of all of the nation's sins. Now, I need you to understand something. He would take a bull offering, and he would take a goat, and he would take burnt offerings, and he would go through this ceremony to ask for the cleansing of his people's sins. He had to prepare his heart because if he wasn't right, he could fall dead. And this has shown how important it is in David's time the Philistines stole the ark. Why? Because Israel was dis disobedient to God. And God allowed his presence to be removed from them. So they take it on the, on, on the back of a, of a cart pulled by oxen. 
Okay, David sees that the Philistines took it that way. When he brings it back, he says, hey, if it worked for them, it can work for us. How many times do we do the same? Well, the world did it this way. Come on, how many times do we ever say, but God, it works for the world. And God's saying, you're not of the world. You might be in the world, but I pray that you would not be of the world. So David's bringing it back. It hits a pothole because their roads were no better than ours. Right? It hits a pothole. The ark begins to fall. Yuza, his friend, begins to steady it with his hands. And the moment he touches it to keep it from falling, he dies. And God was saying, you cannot treat something that's extraordinary like it's ordinary. God is extraordinary. Now, I need you to stay with me on this. The ark of the covenant was put in the holiest of holies. The priest would prepare his heart. And he had to be right because if he entered the holiest of holies once a year... And his heart wasn't right. He would die on the spot. I need you to understand this. He wouldn't allow anybody to touch him. He wasn't allowed to do certain things. And he had, he had little bells on the bottom of his robe so that he could move about and they could hear what was going on. He also had a rope tied to his ankle so that if he dropped dead, they could. Can you imagine everybody else? You go in after him, you drop dead. They go in after you, they drop dead. No, thank you. I'll just put you out. So I want you to understand how significant this is. I also want you to understand this, that the bulls and the sheep and the offerings offered were not what, sac- what, what cleansed the people of their sin. It was the faith that someday a Messiah would come. So they looked forward in faith. I need you to understand this. We look back in faith and the blood of Jesus runs down and cleanses us. They looked forward in faith and the blood of Jesus flows down Calvary and cleanses them. It wasn't those bulls. It wasn't those rams. It wasn't the, the sacrifice. It's what it symbolized. That someday the Lamb of God would take away the sin of the world. So this is what he would do. He would go in there and he would offer incense. And then the second time he would go in there, same ceremony, he would offer the bull's blood, the bullock's blood. Then he would go in there a third time and he would take his fingers and dip it in the blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Seven times he would do that, signifying completion, it is done. Then he would come back out, he would read the prayers to the court of women, because they weren't participating in this, they were held in another place. He would read to them, and then would go and prepare, and send the, the, the scapegoat off to die. You say, whoa, 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 what is all of this? It's what Jesus would be in the future. So you think and tell me, that any old, any old person can, can buy your way to heaven? No, this is specific. This is Jesus and Jesus alone. So when people can say, there's many ways to heaven, tell me how. When there's only one that has fulfilled this much scripture. This isn't accidental. This is God being precise because he wants you to know there is but one way to heaven. The one who came and died as a propitiation, as an atonement, as a substitute who stood in your place, who hung on the cross and whose blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat where God sits. Watch this. He would go in, offer incense, God, the Holy Spirit. He would offer blood, God, the Son. He would sprinkle on the mercy seat God the Father who is forever sitting on the throne. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? This idea 
is ridiculous when you start to think that you can get to heaven any other way or that somehow Jesus and all of this symbolism can be equal to any of these other religions. I'll just be nice and just leave it there, religions. No, no. So Mary sees this. You go, man, that's not what I came to tell you. I got to hurry. Then they said to her, these are, the, these are the, uh, the angels, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. I need you to see this, but did not know that it was Jesus. This is odd. Jesus said to you, to her, woman, am I reading the same verse? No, it's another. Jesus said to her, listen to this, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now he's speaking to her more than just a short phrase. He's starting to conduct a conversation with her. Let me ask you this. Mary Magdalene knew Jesus for over three years, some say. Some say that she was part of the group of women who traveled with him frequently. They were close friends. She, he saved her out of a life of prostitution. And so you have this amazing relationship, yet she doesn't recognize him. Doesn't that make you say, hmm, what's going on here? She supposed him to be a gardener. And some say, well, pastor, it's because he was so brutally beaten, she couldn't recognize him. There's only one thing uh, that, that, that won't hold water because she actually pulled him down from the cross. So she knew what he looked like beaten, battered and bruised. Could it be that this is at the point where he is carrying the sin of the world and he has not yet gone to the mercy seat of the father? Watch this with me. Watch this with me. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, that means my teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not touch me. Now, the word there in the New King James and the King James Version says, do not cling to me. But it's the same word used when the woman with the issue of blood that was hemorrhaging wanted a healing and she pressed through the crowd and grabbed, she just touched Jesus' robe and she was healed. Remember Jesus said, who touched me? Same word. It's used 36 times. And Jesus says, don't touch me. That's significant. She didn't recognize him. Now he says, don't touch me. Why? Okay, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren. Uh-oh. Cody, you need to help me. There we go. I got it. I'm not very technical. It just went blank for a second. And I'm like, ah. But go to my brethren. Who are the brethren? Go to the disciples and say to them, I am ascending to my father, your father, to my God and your God. I'm about to have us all be family. That's what's going on here. We're about to be family. I'm about to take care of this once and for all. Isn't this beautiful? Stay with me on this. So we keep going. And then the same day. So, so wait a minute. 
He said, don't touch me, I'm gotta go do something. Now that same day, at evening, I want you to see that, the same day, at evening, being the first day of the week, still, first day of the week, John is very specific, the doors were shut where the disciples, who were the brethren? The disciples, go tell my brothers, the disciples. So Mary goes and tells them they were all assembled. My goodness. They were all assembled. I keep, I keep hitting something on this thing. They were all assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace. Remember I told you to remember that word? Peace be with you. And Jesus said again to them, peace to you as the father has sent me. So first he was going. Now the father sent him back to bring what? To bring peace. And what else? Watch this. And when he had said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You know what he was preparing? He was preparing the dwelling place for the spirit of the living God. And you are the temple, the Bible says, of the spirit of the living God. He couldn't live there until you had been forgiven and washed white as snow. Do you see why Jesus is the only way to salvation? We're not talking about you earning your way there. We're not talking about another level of enlightenment. We're talking about seeing that we need a savior to forgive us of our sin. That's what we're talking about here. In case you're wondering, well, do you have any other verses to back this up? Stay with me on it. In the book of Hebrews, it says it very clearly, not with the blood of goats and calves, not with the bullock and not with the scapegoat on the day of atonement, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Isn't that beautiful? So you say, okay, what, what, what happened between the time that he shows up to Mary, he goes to heaven, and then he comes back? What happened before that? What, what all has taken place here? I need you to understand something. The Bible says that while he was in the grave, he went down to the lower regions, and he served notice to Satan. You're done. Your authority is done. And he took the keys that we had lost. You know what? I love that because the Lord is constantly helping me find the keys I've lost. <laughs> he is. He's constantly helping me find the keys I've lost. Guess what? He helped mankind find their keys that they lost. And they lost them back at the garden when they believed the lie of the enemy. And he takes the keys and then it says something very important. The New Testament says he helped, he led captivity captive, meaning those Old Testament saints that had been waiting for glory, it's the same place where Lazarus is seen by the rich man who looks over and sees, there's Lazarus, have him come and dip his finger in water and touch my tongue because I'm dying. It's that place. Jesus, the Bible says, listen to me, you can see it here in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 27, and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of their graves after his resurrection. So watch this. He goes during those three days. He leads them out. And then when he's raised from the dead, they're raised from the dead. And he says to them, he says, hold on here for a second. Hold up here for just a second. Because I got to go and talk to Mary. Because I told the fellas. But the fellas, they, 
they're prone to forget. And everybody knows that if you want a job done right, you got to send a woman. So he goes and he tells Mary, hey, listen, Mary, I got to go take care of some things with the father. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament saints are walking around. The Bible says that many of them saw the Old Testament saints. Can you imagine Abraham walking around? Man, that's where I used to live. That's where I used to be. Oh, my goodness. They put a McDonald's there. Are you kidding me? And you pay $5 for a Starbucks? What is going on here? You know, and then they go, but pastor, you still haven't shown me what happened. Now I'm convinced. I'm convinced. He goes, he serves notice to, to Satan. He leaves the Old Testament saints with him. He, um, he tells Mary that he's going to the Father. He goes to the Father. By evening time, he's back. But what about, is there anywhere in the Bible, what if the Bible were to show us what happened when he went to the Father in, in heaven? Is there anywhere in the New Testament? No, it's not in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. Go to the book of Daniel. Watch this. But before we go to the book of Daniel, watch what he says in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Notice the word says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So let's go to Daniel and see what happens. In the book of Daniel, he says, I watched till the thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. That's one million. Ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him. That's a hundred million. The court was seated. Now I want you to see what happened in John. Go back to John real quick with me. John 12, 31. Now the judgment. Where does the judgment take place, Chris? It takes place in a courtroom. Go back with me to Daniel. What does he say? The court was seated and the books were opened. Watch what happens. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the little horn, the Antichrist, was speaking. But the Antichrist doesn't come to the end. No, no, no. John tells us the Antichrist was in the world then. It's the spirit of Antichrist. Now, he won't be revealed till the end. But this is in the spiritual. He's seeing this. The anti, okay, the little horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain. The beast was slain. But wait a minute. The, the, the beast doesn't get slain till the end of Revelation. No, 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 no. In the book of Daniel, you have many beasts. And here in chapter 7, we're talking about four beasts. What beast is he talking about being slain there? And its body destroyed, given to the burning flame. Listen to verse 12. As for the rest of the beasts, that means more than one, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. What does that mean? It means that Satan has not been, not been put to death yet, but his dominion has been stripped from him and he no longer has power over us through sin and death. Sin and death cannot hold you. Sin and death cannot keep you. You can ask for forgiveness and it shall be done. 
God doesn't see your sin and doesn't count it against you. Listen to me, my friend. He has forgiven all of the sin and his blood is powerful enough to forgive all of the sin of all of the nations for all of the ages, no matter how bad. Don't let the enemy tell you he cannot forgive you. He can forgive you. And he has if you have asked him to. For sin shall no longer have dominion over you, says Paul. You are not under the law, but under what? Grace. I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. But isn't that talking about the end when Jesus rides the clouds and he comes back for us? No, 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 no. This is him coming to the court. This is him coming to the throne room of grace where God the Father sits on the mercy seat. Who is the cloud? Who's the cloud with him? Listen to me. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Who is the cloud that Hebrews is talking about? The Old Testament saints. Read Hebrews 11. It's a list of all the Old Testament saints. Their graves were open. They resurrected with Christ. They were walking around Jerusalem as as Jesus was showing up to Mary and saying, go tell the fellas what I'm about to go do in the throne room. I'm going to go make amends with the Father. Once and for all, I'm stripping Satan of his dominion. So you want to know what this means as the worship team comes up? This is what it means. When Jesus says, he no longer has dominion. Now it's my, my say on the earth. And my say is that, that, that everyone should have an opportunity to come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So all authority in heaven and earth are mine. Therefore, go and share the gospel. Make disciples. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the earth as a testimony to me. Then the end will come. He says, I give you authority to go do it. He says, I will give you the power of the Holy Spirit to go do it. I'm not talking about speaking to bank accounts and speaking to Lexuses into existence and all the nonsense that some preachers like to preach. I'm talking about calling your children saved and praying over them salvation. I'm talking about having faith to move mountains so that you can get the gospel to your relatives, to your loved ones. I'm talking about praying in such a way that you know that you're saved. And that no longer will the enemy be able to tell you that you're not saved, that he has you, that somehow everybody else can be saved, but not you. Listen to me. You are free if the Son has set you free. You are free. Satan is alive. So here's my invitation to you. Here's my invitation to you. Will you believe what Jesus did at the cross that day? That he went to the Father, he covered it, and he said, it's done, it's paid for. He came back, told Mary, tell the fellas, and then listen to me here. When he comes back to the fellas, he says, touch me. Touch me. I've already been to the mercy seat. You can touch me now. Before the priest went into the holiest of holiest, he couldn't be touched. After he came out, he's like, we can talk. We can eat, we can... 
So here's my invitation, very simple. Is there anyone here who wants to settle once and for all? I'm tired of the lies of the enemy. It's not about reaching more enlightenment and not about reaching more understanding. It's about reaching out by faith to the loving hand of Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, I put my faith in you and I ask you to forgive me of my sin, come into my life and change me, rearrange me like only you can. Let me walk in your authority. Let me walk in your power. Let me have the dominion you've called me to have. Listen, so that I may accomplish your good purpose and your goals for my life. If that's you and you want to raise your hand right here, let's pray to receive Jesus. Isn't this beautiful? Father, you see every hand that's raised. God, your word says that you reject no one who calls upon your name, not a one. Your word says clearly, Lord, that if we ask for forgiveness, it shall be given. Lord, in this moment, I pray that you would cover us and touch every hand, every person, every heart with your love. Fill them with your love. Give them an understanding of why you sent Jesus and how much you love us. It was your love for us that held you to that cross. And you saw this moment where they would receive you, where we would receive you. God, wash us white as snow. We profess you as our King of glory. And from this moment on, lead us by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I love you, Foundation. Have a great, great week.